0: Jesus, thank you for how precious you are, exceedingly precious, and I pray this morning that we would see that a little bit more clearly, and that we would see you without any of the deceptions, any of the things that tend to distract us from following you wholeheartedly. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Benjamin was ...tossed into the cell along with his two companions. And as he heard the door slam behind him, he could not believe that it had come to this. How? How had it ended like this? He thought that he was following the right leader. He thought that he was doing everything possible to do the opposite of what just took place. But there he was, laying in a prison cell, chained to two other guys wondering what was going to happen. Day in and day out, I don't know how many days it was, but I imagine that Benjamin was there for many days, wondering what was going to be the verdict in his case. As time had gone on, he'd gotten deeper and deeper into this movement that had led him to make choices and decisions that, looking back, he wondered, were they right? Had he made the right choices? Had he gone too far? Had he committed crimes that were too big to be forgiven? All of these questions began to rankle through his mind. And I imagine that he began to think back about some of the other opportunities that he'd had in his life, some of the other ways that he could have gone, some of the other things that he could have done. And he began to wonder, did I choose the right path? Was this the right choice? How did this wind me up here? And one of the things I, I imagine that he began to think about was that afternoon. That afternoon when the sun had been shining bright. He'd been enjoying that amazing teaching that ever came from the lips of Jesus. As he was there on the mountainside listening to Jesus. And then everybody began to notice that Jesus was concerned about something. Jesus noticed that everybody was hungry and that they were going to have to get food because it was a long distance away from anywhere else where food could be had. And so Jesus turned to one of his disciples, like we talked about last week, to Philip, who was a local, and said, hey, where can we get bread for all of these people? Maybe Benjamin was close enough that he overheard this. And then Philip said, 200 denarii is not enough. You couldn't work for half a year and come up with enough bread to feed all these people. And then Andrew comes over and says, well, we do have this little boy over here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what's that among 5,000 men and all the women and children? I don't know, but here's an option. And Jesus all along knew what he was doing. He was testing them. And we talked about last week how the children in the wilderness, it was a similar path that they went on, that they too were tested and they were made to go hungry so that they could learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, so that they could learn to trust in Jesus. But even that manna to them became ordinary. And pretty soon in the wilderness, what were they saying about the manna? We're tired of this loathsome manna. Could you give us something else? We just want to go back to Egypt. It became ordinary to them. It lost its preciousness to them. And we saw how Jesus said, really, I'm the one who's come down as the bread from heaven for you to eat. And in the same way we were questioning, is it possible that Jesus, the gospel, the love of God becomes so ordinary to us? That we come to church, we go through the motions, we take part in the communion service, and it's not so precious to us anymore. Let's go back to that story again in John chapter 6. If you have your Bible, I invite you to open it up to John chapter 6 in verse 2. We learn why all the multitudes came. Do you remember why they came? We talked about it last week. It says, when they saw the signs of how he had healed the diseases... Now, would that be attractive to you? If, if in Temple, then if in Pastor Robles, you found out that people were being healed of diseases, would you, you just want to kind of go and check it out, see what's happening there? These people are coming because this is exciting. Something is happening. Jesus is doing amazing things. But we're going to jump down in the story to verse 11. In verse 11, it says, And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks... He distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. Now in the Greek here, it's interesting because as much as they wanted, it's like repetitive saying basically they kept asking for more. And as often as they asked for more, the disciples kept coming back. Can you imagine this meal just goes on as long as anybody wanted until finally they're full of these barley loaves and these fishes. It may have been common food. But hey, it was a good, solid, filling meal. Verse 14, we jump down a few more verses. Then those men, after they see this amazing thing, their stomachs are full to the brim. They have all that they could want to eat. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. What do they mean by that? They're talking about the Messiah, right? But but why do they call him the prophet who is to come into the world? Well, Moses, the one who had led them through the wilderness, who had given them, they believe, the manna from heaven, he said this in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15. He said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. So there's going to come somebody that's going to be just like me, Moses says. He's going to do similar things for you. So they're sitting there and they're thinking, okay, so Moses, we were in Egyptian bondage and Moses came and he rescued us out of that bondage. Today, we're under Roman oppression. They're thinking about it. They're thinking, all right, so Moses led them out of Egyptian bondage and he had them there in the wilderness. And here we are in this desolate place on the other side of the Sea of Galilee with no villages close by. And they're thinking about it, Moses went up into Mount Sinai, and here comes this figure from up on the mountain, and he's teaching us from the mountain. And as he comes down from the mountain, what does he do? He multiplies meat for us. He gives us, like they got in the wilderness, the quail, we get fish multiplied to us. But not only that, like God gave manna from heaven, here comes this prophet, and he's giving us bread. Bread. This is incredible, they're thinking. He has to be that prophet that Moses was talking about. So they say, and it begins to echo around the crowd. And I imagine that Benjamin was there that day. Maybe he was one of the first ones who began to make some of the connections. He began to say, hey, could it be that this is the Messiah? Could it be that this is the prophet who's to come? I mean, think about it. You have the fish that's kind of like the quail. You have the bread that's kind of like the manna. Maybe this is the Messiah. Whispered around it first. And then it begins to grow and to crescendo around the crowd. And pretty soon, everybody's talking about it. They're all saying, this has got to be Him. This has to be the Messiah. Now, this is a grand and glorious event for Jesus, isn't it? This is an amazing opportunity. Everything up until this point, if, if you're reading this story for the first time, you're thinking to yourself, Man, this story has just gone right. This is exactly what Jesus needs in order to be able to tell the world the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. This is what He needs for everybody to recognize who He is. This is what you and I strive for with our neighbors, with our friends. Don't we want for them to realize who Jesus is, that He is the Messiah? And they're getting it. They are understanding that He is the fulfillment of prophecy. But then look at what happens in the next verse. If you continue reading in your Bibles, we go on to verse 15. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. How did something that started so right end like this? I mean, doesn't Jesus just want people to come and worship Him? Doesn't He just want for people to, to realize that He's King? Doesn't He accept everybody that comes to Him? Isn't He a God of love? Then why did He leave this group who wanted to proclaim Him King? Why? Reading this story, I'm realizing, is there any similarity to me today? Is there any similarity in Christianity today? Is it possible that in our efforts to lift Jesus up, in our efforts as Christians to to magnify who Jesus is, that we miss the point sometimes about what Jesus is all about? What was it, I have to know this morning, that led Jesus to depart into the mountain when people wanted to proclaim Him King? I have to know why is it that Jesus didn't accept their homage that day. Why was it that Jesus walked away from people that wanted to make him king? Because I want for him to be king of my life. I believe that many of you are here today because you want for him to be king of your life. And so I want to know how is it that I can ensure that Jesus doesn't walk away from me. That Jesus doesn't depart from me. Maybe this morning you're feeling the absence of God's presence, you're not recognizing him there in your life, could it be that in this story is a key that will help you to come closer to Jesus than you've ever come before? In Desire of Ages, page 383, it says this, if men could have had the world with Christ, multitudes would have proffered him their allegiance, but such service he could not accept. These people had in their minds a specific kind of king. They had in mind that, hey, Jesus is able to multiply bread. He's able to multiply fish. Just imagine what that could be like. Imagine that we go out to war with the Romans. And it wouldn't matter if, if we're in a city and they besiege us. Well, Jesus can just keep multiplying the bread and they're going to run out of food before we do. But not only that, we started following him because he's healing people from their diseases. This is so awesome. They could come and they could stab me with their sword and I could run back to Jesus. Jesus could put his hand on me and I could run back out there and start fighting some more. What better Messiah could we have asked for? But what begins to happen in the crowd that somehow they recognize that Jesus is unwilling for the kingship that they desire for him to have? Jesus is not willing to lead them as a military conqueror. And as they, they they look at him, maybe it's that they think he's too humble. They think that he's just not willing to have the honor of being king. And so they begin to say, we've got to take him by force. You see that in the verse? They were going to take him by force. The king of the universe, the creator of all things, God in human flesh. They were going to force him to become their king. How foolish sometimes we can be. How often we try to take sometimes our religion and and our beliefs and we use them in order to get what we want out of life. In order to provide for our needs. In order to make people look at us in a certain way. Whatever it might be, we tend to try to use God. And this story tells me that God's not into being used. Because he loves you too much to be that kind of king for you. He loves you too much that you would just follow Him and serve Him based on what He does for you. He loves you too much that He's not about just you liking the gifts that you give, that He gives to you. He wants you to go a little bit deeper than the gifts that He has for you. It's pretty fascinating. Where did Jesus go when He left the multitude? Where did it say that He went in the verse? He went up into the mountain. If you read in the other Gospels, it tells us that he went up on the mountain alone by himself away from all the people so that he could pray, so that he could have that communion with the Father. Father, they're not getting it. They don't understand what I've come to do and what can I possibly do to help them understand? And what gives Jesus the boldness that he has to stand up to the people on the coming day? to tell them some things that are really hard to hear. What gives him the boldness to speak truth when people don't want to hear it and he knows that they're going to walk away from him? What can give us boldness to say what needs to be said in love when people don't want to hear it? This past week, I got to go back to Maryland for some meetings with the North American division. I'm on a ministerial advisory to the north american division where they just say hey we want to get pastors from different places to Come and tell us what is it like in your church so that we can get an idea of the resources We can provide the ways that we can be of better assistance to churches to pastors around north america Well partway through they told us hey we're going to take you to the capitol today And when we go to the capitol, we're going to take you to see chaplain barry black well We got to the Capitol and they pointed out his window actually up by the Capitol building and said, okay, we're going to go up there. That's his office up there. And they they took us winding through the Senate uh, building, which is this ornate, amazingly ornate building. And you get up inside of there and then pretty soon they start telling you no pictures until you get into his office. And then he says, it's fine. You can take pictures. Don't worry about it. But there's a crowd of us around Senator Barry Black in his, uh, not Senator, sorry, Senate Chaplain Barry Black in his office. His office had all kinds of pictures. There was a picture of Barry Black shaking the hand of the Dalai Lama. There was a picture of Barry Black shaking the hand of the Pope. There was a picture of him with the various presidents. He's met the past six presidents, talked with them. He ministers to people that you and I, would we be a little intimidated by coming in contact with them? Would you be intimidated if... Uh, the President of the United States showed up at your house tonight and for dinner, seeing blank stares. But I would be, not just, I, I would be. We'll just put it there. We'll leave it there, right? But I'll tell you the other picture that was there. You see up above his head, that picture? It's a picture painted by Nathan Green of the Second Coming. I was inspired by the faith that Barry Black has. And he told us when one person asked the question, "You meet all of these people, these famous people, are you intimidated by that how do you How do you keep your composure and he said this i 'll never forget it." He said, "When you commune with the one who made the stars, you can 't be intimidated by the ones who wear the stars." He was a chaplain in the military, worked with four star generals and That's what he learned. If he could just commune with the one who made the stars, there was no reason to be intimidated by the ones who wore the stars. If you knew the God of the universe, that's all that matters. And Jesus models that for us. In a moment when... There's pressure on him. In a moment when people are looking to make him king, they're seeking to force him in a certain direction. And he knows the decisions that he's going to make are not popular. And he has to stand up for what's right. He has to say truth that's going to drive people away from him. And he loves these people in that moment. What he does is he goes to commune with the Father. To pray for those people. To pray for his disciples. Recognizing that they just don't get what he's all about. Benjamin was frustrated. That day he was, he was determined that Jesus was the one. He was going to crown Jesus king and he was one of the foremost in, in going through the crowd and saying, we've got to make Jesus king. We've got to do whatever it takes. He's the one that can save us from the Romans. And then to have Jesus dismiss the crowd and go up on the mountain, it made Benjamin angry. Benjamin began to think, what kind of guy is this? Doesn't he see? Doesn't he care about us? Why won't he help us? And he began to get a group around him and he said, let's go look for Jesus tomorrow. So they get up as soon as possible and they go looking for Jesus. And during the night, we'll talk about this next week, during the night Jesus had made his way across the lake and when they get to the other side of the lake and finally they find Jesus, there's this crowd that's pressing around Jesus. They're looking for Jesus. And when they get to him and finally they come to him and they say, hey Jesus, how did you get here? When did you come? Jesus looks at them and he says this. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Your minds are set on your bellies. You're excited that I multiplied the barley, I multiplied the fish, and it filled your belly. And you're thinking about wanting your belly filled again today. And you're following me based on what you can get from me. You're seeking me based on the rewards. You're looking to me as the one who's just going to bless and get all these things in your life. That's why you want me to be your king. You seek me not because you saw the signs of who I am, but because you want what I can give you. Jesus goes on in verse 27 and says this, which is crucial for us. I believe that this is key of having Jesus as king of our hearts today. Jesus says, Do not labor for the food that perishes. For the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal on Him. So says, don't labor for this stuff that's going to perish. Yes, I care about your physical needs. Yes, I did multiply the barley loaves and the fish. I didn't want you to be hungry. But I didn't want that. Because I wanted for you to see who I am. I did this sign for you. I healed people. I did all of these things so that you could recognize who I am to you. Not so that you could go chasing after that stuff, after the health, after the food, but so that you could come to me. I want you to come to me. Verse 28. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Say, well, that's great. So, so, so what do we have to do? What are the steps that we need to take in order that, that we can have this experience? Lord, we want that bread that you're talking about. Desire of Ages, page 385 says this. Their question meant, what shall we do that we may deserve heaven? What is it the price that we are required to pay in order to obtain the life to come. What do we have to do? Just tell us. Give us another thing on the list. Just give me another thing for my checklist and I'll check that off and we'll be good to go, Jesus. And then you can be our king and we can go on with life. But Jesus looks at them in verse 29 and Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. This is it. This encapsulates what it means to honor God, to work for God. This is it. This is the work of God. That you what? That you believe in Him whom He sent. That you really believe and come to recognize the beauty, the treasure of who Jesus is. And that you come close to Jesus for who Jesus is, not for what He can do for you that you treasure Him, that you're satisfied in Him, that He's enough even if you're starving to death. He's enough even if your health is failing. Jesus is enough for you. When you come to believe that Jesus is that to you, then you're truly experiencing what Jesus is talking about. Desire of Ages goes on to say in the same page, page 385, the price of heaven is Jesus. Jesus is the fullness of all that we can want. Heaven without Jesus would be an empty, barren, desolate place. Heaven would get old without Jesus. But when there's a relationship with Jesus, a loving, personal friendship with Jesus, when Jesus is all that satisfies our soul, then, then and only then is heaven a place. For you and I. This was frustrating for Benjamin. Benjamin wanted for the Romans to be defeated. Benjamin began to grumble to some of his friends, but there was a tinge in him that began to say, you know, maybe he's right. Maybe all I need is him. He thought that until the scribes began to inquire a little bit more and began to make fun of what Jesus was teaching. He began to to listen as the scribes made fun of Jesus as he began to say that I'm the bread of life. And they began to say, what, how is this guy going to give us his flesh? He began to think, you know what, those scribes and those Pharisees, they're right. And Benjamin that day walked away from Jesus. And he began to look for another Messiah, for another king. He began to think there has to be another answer. And he began to look for somebody who would be the kind of king that he wanted. You know, in the end, it says that there are going to be many who say, Lord, Lord. When Jesus is coming back in the clouds, they say, Jesus, we're part of the Christian body of believers. We've been worshiping you. We're so glad that you came back. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. We didn't really have that relationship. I wish that heaven would be a place that you'd be happy to be, but you don't really understand who I am and what I'm about. You don't understand my self-sacrificing love, and so I can't take you back there because it would be torture for you to be there with me. Jesus goes on in this discussion. It goes on for 71 verses. In verse 66, verse 66, Multitudes turn away from him. And I believe that this is the turning point in this verse, uh, in this chapter. One of the most important verses is here in verse 51. Jesus says this, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give him is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. He says, I'm going to give my flesh And people are going to come and they're going to eat me. And in eating me, they're going to live forever. When people come to be so consumed by Jesus, heaven becomes real in their hearts. Desire of Ages, page 379 says this. In the place of his exaltation to the throne of David, Jesus' disciples were to witness his crucifixion. This was to be, indeed, his true coronation. Jesus had a different plan. Jesus had this plan that, hey, I am going to give myself, my flesh, I'm going to lay down my life. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for people. He came to give us something more. Because Jesus had in mind eternity. But that can be a little hard for us to grasp and to capture in our imagination. I recently saw a helpful illustration by a pastor by the name of Francis Chan. And he grabbed a rope, which I'm thankful for Steve Mulder helping me out this morning. <clears throat> and giving me this rope. And he took this rope and he put it across stage. And what I want you to do this morning is to imagine that this rope goes on forever. It's not that long. This rope does not go on forever. But I want you to imagine that that this rope is never-ending, that behind that door is unending rope that wraps around the planet again and again and again. And I want you to imagine that this is what you are meant for. This is what Jesus is talking about. When Jesus says, I want for you to have everlasting life, he's talking about a life that goes on forever and ever and ever. And then here you see this tape. You guys see that? Maybe a little hard to see, right? But here's this little bit of tape. And you have unending life that Jesus is talking about and people are coming after Jesus saying, hey, the Romans are oppressing us in our lifespan here, and we'd like for you to deliver us from the Romans. Will you help us out with that? And Jesus says, no, I'm worried about this. And they say, okay, we'll go find another Messiah, because our concern is here. Here. And that may sound foolish because looking back, we know for a fact that Jesus is the Messiah. We see the results that his life has had. But how is it for me? How focused am I on this span of my life? How much am I thinking about, okay, if I work really hard from here to here, when I get to here, I'll have some time to enjoy life. From here to here. And I'm totally forgetting about... Unending millions and millions of years of enjoying Jesus throughout eternity. How consumed are we with this little bit of time forgetting about all that Jesus is longing to give to us? We're focused on the toys that we can amass here. We're focused on the the house that we can have here. We're worried about our kids wondering, Will our kids get a good job so that they have a good life here? And are we consumed with their forever? Are we consumed with the thought, whether or not my son ever has a nice house, a nice job, whether he ever graduates from college, will my son know Jesus Christ as his savior? And will he enjoy Jesus now? and throughout eternity. I believe that this is why Jesus had to walk away from them on that day because they were asking him to be king here. The devil had already offered him that. The devil had said, hey, you could have all the kingdoms of the world. Just worship me. I'll give all this earth to you. Just focus on this part. And Jesus said, no. I've got something bigger than that. I've got bigger plans. I've got bigger things that I need to be working on. But Benjamin, unfortunately, he decided that, yes, what I need is that little portion of my life. What I need is somebody that will deliver me from the Romans. What I need is bread that will fill my belly. What I need is to be healed. I need to find another Messiah. And as Benjamin began to hunt and to begin to work, he ran into a guy who began to lead him in the way that he wanted. This guy said, hey, we're going to take over From the Romans. We're going to defeat the Romans. We're going to fight the Romans. And he began to mass a rebellion around him. This movement began to spiral and to get bigger and bigger. And Benjamin rose in the ranks until he was second or third in command. And he and the commander were going to rescue the Jews. And as they began to organize this rebellion, the eventual and inevitable began to take place which always takes place when we seek to overcome by force. And that was fighting broke out. This is what Jesus was seeking to avoid. Jesus knew that if he accepted them making him king on that day, that they were going to have to fight and people were going to die and that the spiritual kingdom would not move forward. And before Benjamin knew it, he was thrown into prison for murder. For robbery, for an insurrection, for rebellion. And as he was there in prison, he began to wonder, did I make the wrong choice? Should I have chosen Jesus? Did I choose the right Messiah? And then one day, he and his two other companions were dragged out of the prison and they were dragged into Pilate's Judgment Hall. And as they're there in Pilate's Judgment Hall... They began to witness this scene take place in John 18, 33. It says, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again. He called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Can you imagine as Benjamin looks to his friends and says, <laughs> Yeah, here we go. As soon as, as soon as anybody talks about that guy being king, we know what happens. He runs to the mountain. Watch out. Hang on to him. He's going to run up into the mountains. Jesus, in verse 38 36, sorry, goes answers and says this. My kingdom is not of this world. Does Jesus acknowledge that He's king? Yes. He says, but my kingdom is not of this world. I'm not king of this part right here. My kingdom is not based on the systems that you're thinking about. My kingdom, while I created this planet, is not what is prevailing on this planet. My kingdom... Is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. If you think about it, not understanding this is what led all of the disciples to run away from Jesus that night. Peter grabbing his sword, fighting for Jesus, trying to exalt Jesus and defend Jesus, and Jesus healing him and saying healing the, the the servant and and Peter running away saying, Man, if Jesus is gonna do that, I don't want any part with him. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Verse 37, Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Benjamin's looking over at the guys. He's like, man, Pilate just doesn't get it, right? This guy does, obviously doesn't want to be a king. That's why we didn't follow him. That's why we did all of this. Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. I was born as a king, and I have come for a kingdom that the world isn't going to recognize, that a lot of people are going to walk away from. They're going to choose selfishness. They're going to choose looking out for their needs over the needs of others. They're not going to want self-sacrificing love. But I have a different kingdom that I've come to set up for anybody who will accept My invitation. Pilate goes on. John 18 and verse 39. He decides that he's going to do something. He decides that he's going to release one prisoner that day. I imagine that Benjamin begins, his heart begins to pound when he hears this. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. And Benjamin's thinking, hey, maybe somebody will get released today. And maybe it'll be me today. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? The crowd in verse 40. Then they all cried saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Not only that, Mark 15 verse 7 says, And there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. They had sought to set up a kingdom Based on force, they had sought to do everything that Jesus refused to do. And they were chained together there in Pilate's hall. And the crowd begins to say, give us Barabbas. Imagine as Benjamin watches as the soldiers come over. They're cursing at the soldiers, spitting on the soldiers. And the soldiers knock them off to the side. And they grab Barabbas' shackles. They take his shackles and they they take him away. And Benjamin thinks, at least one of us got free. Maybe he can come and he'll set us free. Maybe he'll come and fight for us. Then Pilate begins to do something to Jesus. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Imagine as Benjamin is watching and... ah. Man, they're treating this guy miserably. I mean, he won't even fight. Why are they treating him like this? And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his heads and they put on him a purple robe. He begins to look at him and I can't help but think that that softness in his heart began to stir and he began to think, man, why are they treating him like this? That's He may not say he's the king of this world, but why do you have to mock it like that? Why do you have to dress him up like a king in such a painful way? Then they said, hail, king of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. They didn't want this kind of king. The Romans didn't want this kind of king. The Jews didn't want this kind of king. And they mocked somebody that was that weak that he wouldn't fight back. Verse 14, now it was the preparation day of the Passover, about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. He pulls him out. He has the crown of thorns on, the purple robe, and he says, look, this is your king. Do you want him to be your king? Imagine that moment. I believe Benjamin was there in that hall. I believe Barabbas was there. He's just being set free. So He looks into that face. He's heard Pilate say in verse 14, I find no fault in him. I don't recognize anything wrong. Why is it that you keep telling me to put this guy to death? I don't understand what it is that he's done that is so wrong. But the Jews go on to say in verse 15, but they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. We only want a king who will set up an earthly empire, who will fulfill our needs today, who will set up a a Pax Romana, who will make peace on this earth. We aren't interested in a king like Jesus because he's not willing to stand up and fight like a man. Eventually, Benjamin began to join with the others as Barabbas' cross is set on Jesus Benjamin is given a cross to carry and their other compatriot is given a cross to carry and they begin to walk and he walks, watches as Jesus is so worn out that he can't even carry the cross. They find somebody else to carry the cross for him. But he has to keep watching and seeing how this man named Jesus is responding to all of the reviling, all of the taunts, all of the mistreatment And it has to be doing something in Benjamin's heart. Everybody was crying out and mocking Jesus. Matthew 27 picks it up for us in verse 42. They're calling out to Jesus saying, he saved others. Yeah, great guy that he is. But himself, he cannot save. He doesn't have what it takes. They're trying to, really, I believe the demons are trying to tempt him to have a self-serving kingdom. a, A kingdom that looks out for number one. If He is the King of Israel, then let Him now come down from the cross and we will believe in Him. Even the robbers who were crucified with Him reviled Him with the same thing. At first, Benjamin is there on the cross and he's saying, Yeah! Jesus, come on, save us if You're so great. Why won't You save us? But then something happens. The longer he looks at Jesus... Everything changes for Benjamin. As he watches as Jesus in Luke chapter 23 says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. In his own heart is such hatred. In his own heart is all the pain. He knows that Jesus is going through so much more than he is and yet Jesus is loving his persecutors. How is that possible? How could this man have that kind of love? I just don't understand as he looks At Jesus, something changes in his heart. And he's looking at Jesus. He hears his compatriot saying something. Now remember, we're thinking about what Jesus said. Do not labor for the food that perishes. Don't focus on this tiny little bit of your life when you have to worry about eternity. Not so much just for you, but a selfless giving for others so that they can experience this. Worry about this kingdom, not about the kingdom of self-serving that's going to be gone tomorrow. It begins to sink into Benjamin's thoughts as he's there on the cross. And as he looks at Jesus, he recognizes, I don't need to be afraid of people anymore. My life is about to end here. But there is this coming, and I don't know what I'm going to do about this because I have wasted this. I've been fighting. I've been lying. I've been robbing. I've been trying to get ahead in this. And now I have this coming for me, and I don't know if I really have this reward in the end. He hears the other one of his compatriots Verse 39 of Luke 23, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. And finally, Benjamin has had enough, I imagine. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? But not only that, we indeed justly Benjamin has began to look at his own heart and he says, man, I've got nothing. I deserve to be where I am. I deserve this punishment. I'm here for a reason. I have completely forsaken the kingdom of God in this life. For we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. He sees in Him a purity, a spotlessness, a beauty that is willing to lay itself down for Him. And He looks at Him and He's the first, one of the first, to truly recognize Him as King. As He says in verse 42, Then He said to Jesus, Lord, He's the one that calls Him Lord. Everybody else is mocking Him, abusing Him, spitting on Him, and He is not afraid to call Him Lord. He says, Lord, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come back, when you come into your kingdom, when you come into all of this. You are not king of this world. You're king of something bigger. Would you please remember me in that kingdom? Because Jesus, I just want to be with you. He's looked long enough to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world that he wants, Jesus. He can say, take all the world, take all of this, but give me Jesus. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus gives him this matchless and beautiful promise saying, I promise you, I'm here on the cross. It may look like I'm defeated. It may look like I'm no king. It may look like I have no salvation power, but I tell you the truth, I forgive your sins. I forgive the murder. I forgive the robbery. I forgive the rebellion. I forgive the lying. I forgive all of that. And you, my friend, are going to be with me forever and ever to enjoy paradise with me. You're going to be with me. Friends, that's what it's all about. And this morning, you may be thinking, I don't know, I focused too much on this. Is it too late for me? But Jesus promised in that same chapter in John 6 and verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. You may have spent all your life focused on here and now, focused on your retirement, focused on your job, focused on your education, And Jesus is saying today, just turn and look to me. Will you believe that I am the one who satisfies every one of your longings and cravings and appetites? That in me alone is the fullness of all that you need. That I am your bread. If so, just come to me. And I promise, if you come to me, if I promise this morning, this is a promise that you can take to the bank. If you forget every other promise in the Bible, remember this. Jesus says this, if you come to me, I won't cast you out. The only reason that people didn't follow Jesus was because they chose that they didn't want that kind of king. But if you choose that you want a selfless, loving king as your king, if you want to be a part of that kingdom, Jesus promises you this morning that he will by no means cast you out. He wants you. You may be thinking it's everybody else but not me. He's talking about wanting you to be with him forever. So this morning, I want to make a commitment to not labor for the food that perishes, but for that which endures to everlasting life. And I don't know what that means for you this morning. Maybe it just means a reorganization of your time. To say, hey God, I'm giving you 10 minutes while I'm spending all this time trying to amass wealth in this tiny little bit of life. And to enjoy the toys that I have and to take care of them. Or maybe you're thinking, I just need to completely refocus my life. I need a a career change. I need a, a refocus in what I'm doing for my schooling. I don't know what God's telling you this morning, but I know this. That He's calling all of us to a more focused effort. Not a more focused effort, but a more determined focus on Jesus that we would look to Jesus that we would believe that that is our work to fix our eyes on Jesus and that like the thief on the cross who I imagine his name could have been Benjamin it could have been anything who at one point turned away from Jesus but then turned back that he is calling you and I to focus on him as king not of earthly political governments not to satisfy the needs of here and now Although he will do that, but more importantly, as the king of forever, as the king of kings who desires to most of all have our hearts for eternity. I don't know what commitment Jesus is calling you to today, but I just wanted to give you my own personal commitment, and that is when I get to hold my girls, I missed holding them this week, but when I got back, I could not wait to hold my girls, and on the left there you'll see Livy, on the right you'll see Abby. When I hold my girls, what I want, more than anything else, is that the first words that they speak would be Jesus. That their first thoughts are about Jesus as their loving Savior. That whatever path in education they take, whatever job they choose, whatever career they have, no matter what takes place in their life, they will always know that their daddy wanted for them to find Jesus to be their supreme treasure. That's my commitment this morning. Whether they go to Harvard, whether they don't go to college, I want them to love Jesus. And I'm going to give every breath of my life to that end to let my daughters know Jesus. And this morning, I just want to challenge you. Ask Jesus what it is for you today. What is it that He wants you to do in sharing Jesus as a priceless treasure with others? it's your desire to go on a journey of seeing jesus as your king recognizing him for all that he is and choosing to come to him i just want to invite you to stand this morning and say i want you jesus to be my king you've promised that those who come to you you will in no wise cast out and i just want to invite you to to think about maybe there's a a specific commitment. If this morning God's laying something specific on your heart and you just want to say, Jesus, would you help me with that so that I can personally experience more of you or I can share you with others more. Just raise your hand. If there's something specific, if he hasn't given you that yet, you could even just raise your hand to say, I'm going to pray about that. I want to know how I can share Jesus, how I can appreciate the treasure that Jesus is. And before we pray, I just want to remind you of an awesome opportunity for that. April nineteenth, it's conveniently on Easter weekend, we're going to be starting the All About Jesus seminar. That's what this series is all about, Jesus. And Lee Vendon, as he comes and he shares beginning on Friday night, he's going to be sharing night by night, well, that night and the next day on Sabbath, and then Sunday night again, this seminar will get you excited about Jesus. He's going to tell stories that will get you thinking, I just want more of Jesus in my life. I just think I, I need more of Jesus in my life. I'm excited about Jesus. He tells so many beautiful stories and connects them with Scripture in a way that you will be blessed. How many of you want to join me in attending every night possible of that meeting? It's April 19 to 27. I just encourage you to, to, to seek to make that commitment. And also to invite other people. We ran out of flyers last week, which is a blessing. That doesn't often happen when we have meetings coming up. So I think that that, that something's happening, that, that we're excited about this, but I want to encourage you. We got more flyers that are out there. We actually ordered just as many flyers again so that we can tell people, we can give our friends, our neighbors, do you want to know about Jesus? Do you want to know what a precious Savior He is? Well, then come and check this out. Let's pray together. Father, we stand before you this morning not because of any righteousness in us. We stand here simply saying, we want Jesus. We don't want to choose the Barabbas of this life. We don't want to miss you like the thief on the cross did for so many years. We want to choose Jesus today. We want for you to be our King. Father, please search our hearts. Show us anything that's leading you to depart from us. Help us to see the love that you have for us and to just open ourselves wide to believe in you as the God who when we come to you will never cast us out. In the name of Jesus I pray, amen.